0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comment section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. All right, guys, I have a big announcement. This is going to be really great. I, I am very excited about this. I hope that it, you know, that it makes a splash. I hope this is a good thing. I have, uh, as I've mentioned many times, I have published, this is episode number 210 of Critical Q&A in addition to, you know, the 400 and some odd other videos that I've produced on my channel. And the thing about having a YouTube channel is that you're burying content in videos and the only way you know what's in the videos is by the title of the video and with Critical Q&A. It's been challenging to direct people to the different questions I've answered over the years, and uh, and that's been a problem. I have created on my web page, on my blog, a an in, a list, in, literally of all the questions I've answered, and I have to keep that up, and that's kind of a hassle. And I don't always do that, and also people don't know it's there, and it's kind of buried on my blog, not my YouTube channel. So, what to do? <laughs> You know, how do I solve this dilemma? People come to the channel, you guys probably who are watching this now have probably not watched all 209 earlier episodes, and some of the questions I've answered over the years have been kind of, you know, whatever, and some of them have been really good questions that I've given, I thought, really good answers to. So, uh, what to do? Well, here's what I'm doing. I have created another YouTube channel. It's brand new. Uh, It's not even up for monetization yet because I don't have any subscribers on it. I literally just created it this week. The name of the channel is Chris Shelton, or it's called Critical Clips. That's the name of the channel. And what it is, is clips of the videos I have produced here on this channel over the years, starting with going through my critical Q&A shows. And I've gone through the first four of them, and I've produced eight little clipped videos that are just answers to single questions. And the title of the video is The Subject of the Question that I'm answering, so you'll be able to zero in on exact questions that you might have, an- that you might want answers to, that I have answered, and they will be by title. They're searchable, so they'll have SEO, and they'll be, you know, search engine optimization. People will be able to find them just through Google searches, and um, and it'll be a way to solve a number of problems and uh, and help promote this channel because all of the videos will direct back to this main channel that you're watching here, where all the big good content is, right? Uh, So anyway, I hope to be able to help you guys to get the answers you've been looking for to questions I have uh, responded to. Also help, you know, promote the channel and get even more information about Scientology, critical thinking, other topics I've covered. It's not just going to be Scientology videos that I'm going to be clipping out. I've done podcasts where I've gone on, I've done various monologues and various uh, rants and things that I've put out there that I would like to get out just as a little clip. So that is now, that it now exists. So the uh, link to the Critical Clips channel is in the description to this video, it is in the, um, I'll get it up in other places as I can, there will be a link to it on the main page on my channel. And I hope you will go over there and check it out. Give it a subscribe uh, if you like what I'm doing here. You should certainly like what I'm doing over there, uh, and uh, and promote those videos and get them out there. And I hope that that uh, the the really amazing thing about this is that I've only gone through the first four critical Q and A episodes, and I've produced eight clips from that. So once I've gone through the 600 plus videos that are on this channel, that the content on that on that. Uh, Critical Clips channel is going to be quite something because there's going to be a lot of videos there. So anyway, uh, please do, uh, like I said, get over there and uh, and share those videos, get them around, and uh, and please subscribe to that channel as well. Of course, to subscribing to this channel if you have not already done so. So. That is some exciting news Uh, and the other thing I wanted to kind of throw out there is um, this channel is fan funded. Uh, This is my job. This is what I do for a living. And uh, the majority of income I produce uh, through this channel is through Patreon. I have been losing some Patreon subscribers recently, though they kind of say their financial situation changed pretty much on the answers as to why they leave. And I would just like to, uh, you know, throw out there that if you are a supporter of this channel and you kind of don't like what I'm doing or have something to say about it, please let me know. Uh, Because if there is something about my content I need to tweak or improve or anything like that, I really do want to know. Uh, I want to be responsive to what you guys out there want to see and hear from me. I always, of course, like to pursue the interests and subject matter that I think is interesting. Put up a podcast this week with uh, Uval Laor, uh about uh, fervor in the subject of intense extremist belief and where that comes from. He actually did his doctoral thesis on that and we found, uh, I think, put together an, a really good podcast. Uh, about that this week. So I hope you guys will check that out too. Uh, I want to thank those who have signed on with Patreon in the last uh, couple months. I don't have the list of all of your names, but I do want to thank each and every one of you individually uh, for that. And I want to encourage anybody who is enjoying this channel to sign up there as well. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get on with your questions now. Sylvie from Canada. I'm writing to you because of what I have heard about the treatment that non-heterosexual members of Scientology receive. Debbie Cook had to endure 12 hours of standing in a garbage can with cards around her neck with the words lesbo, homo, etc. written on them, as well as being dunked with buckets of ice water. Actually, the cult seems to love to throw buckets of ice water on many members, not only the non-heterosexual ones, but on children, too, as Jenna Miscavige described. Then there is the screaming, trying to make them admit that they are not normal. They should realize that if they are heterosexuals, it is because they were born that way. It is not a choice. How can John Travolta, as a bisexual, still be accepted and still be in the cult? Many former cult members have different and various allegations about this, but how can it be? Thanks for the question, Sylvie. Now, uh, just to clarify, Debbie Cook is not um, non-heterosexual. She's married. She's very, very much uh, heterosexual. And what you saw with her treatment in the hole where she was, uh, she did testify in court uh, that under oath that she did have to stand in this garbage can and get dunked and have names things thrown at her, had been be subject to uh, a lot of name-calling and har- harassment and abuse there, but in this sort of group, uh, you know, really horrible sort of Lord of the Flies kind of situation. I mean, it was really bad. And that kind of thing still goes on, as far as we know, at the upper levels. I mean, we have no reason to believe that that, that behavior has stopped. I kind of thought for a while that the whole had been disbanded, but I turns out I'm wrong. And that really sucks, right? Now, what you're seeing there with those kind of slurs and and insults and stuff thrown around at at both Debbie Cook, other people, uh, in terms of the, the homosexual or LGBT accusations, is that Scientology is homophobic. At its core, that's where they are at. It's right in the dogma and the scriptures. And I don't care what Elizabeth Moss or uh, the the woman who's on Orange Is New Black, or uh, I, don't, I don't care what these celebrities go out and when they trot them out and they talk and they and they give their lies about how Scientology is accepting and how LGBT are welcome. That's that's bullshit. Okay, just to be really really blunt, and I know that's you know I'm kind of like whoa, Chris, but it is. It's bullshit. Scientology is a homophobic activity, and they hate homosexuals. They actually think that they are mentally ill and deranged and that they have evil purposes that they are operating on and that all people in the LGBT community are so deranged that they want to actually bring about the destruction of mankind as a species. That's where Scientologists' heads are at when they go into the dogma on it, when they go into reading what Hubbard said or wrote about it. Uh, Not all Scientologists have been exposed to that material, but at this point, most of them have. Because it's right in Dianetics, the modern science of mental health, and it's in the follow-up book to that that Hubbard wrote in 1951 called Science of Survival. Hubbard is crystal clear about this. I mean, he could not be more blunt about the fact, about how he feels about uh, what he calls perverted, you know, Gross behavior. Uh, okay, so that's the if that's the attitude they have, then of course they're going to start. You know, when they start getting into the the, the heavy abusive Lord of the Flies stuff, like I mentioned with the hole, then this stuff comes out because they're they're you know these these guys get into such this. They get into such a deranged mental state that that it becomes, and, and because they are homophobic, then calling somebody a homo or lesbo or any other number of slurs they'll throw around. Uh, David Miscavige, for example, used to taunt uh, Mike Rinder and uh, Tommy Davis, who were his PR people by telling them something about, I think he used to tweet, uh, not tweet, but uh, message them with private messages about how they were going to uh, end up, uh, they, they suck cock on Hollywood Boulevard or something. This was a thing that was that was made known. Um, I mean, Miscavige really, really uses this to slur his juniors, his, his junior executives. He used to uh, talk to a guy named... Um, um, uh, Guillaume Lucev and Mark Yeager who were senior Scientology executives for a very long time he used to taunt them about how they were both gay and wanted to you know have some kind of mutual love fest when both of them are married you know uh, Guillaume Lucev even had a kid so uh, not gay right and and I'm and I'm not putting that out there as though there's something wrong with being gay I'm, I, I have no problem with it at all what I'm saying is that they have a problem with it. And they use this in this very insulting, abusive way. So how is it that John Travolta can still be a Scientologist when it's pretty clear from photographs we've seen and stories that have come out about him that there is this bisexual sort of uh, thing that he's got going on? Well, a couple of reasons. One, he is one of Scientologists' oldest remaining celebrities. He's been a Scientologist since the 1970s. He is a hardcore Scientologist. Uh, he, he really believes in it. And he really thinks that it helped, helps him and it helps other people around him. And he promotes it. He promotes it everywhere he goes. Uh, so, you know, losing that by calling him out, like internally, you know, uh, torturing him, uh, would not be a good idea. And I think David Miscavige has enough self-awareness and an awareness of the situation to know that if John Travolta were exiled from the church or kicked out or somehow did a Leah Remini where he got, you know, raked over the coals so badly that he just said, okay, screw this, and he took off, that would be a PR nightmare for Scientology, way worse than when Leah came out. I mean, Leah came out, and she's all guns, and she did Scientology in the aftermath, and I mean, go Leah, right? I'm, I'm not, this isn't any denigration of Leah. I'm saying that John Travolta has been a hardcore Scientologist since the 70s. He comes out and he starts badmouthing Scientology and he starts talking about how they're homophobic and this and that. ho. Oh, it's, you know, that would be, I think the only other celebrity abandonment that would be worse for Scientology would be if Tom Cruise left, which is never going to happen because Tom Cruise is a religious fanatic and a narcissist, but... Uh, and so Scientology and him fit like hand in glove. So I'm never expecting Tom Cruise to leave. But if John Travolta were to start suffering a lot of abuse at the hands of David Miscavige or other or at his at his orders, which is the only way that Don, John Travolta would ever suffer any abuse, um, then he, would you know, I think he'd just be like, OK, enough of this. And that would be that. So... Um, so that's that's kind of my take on that right is' he's a, he's a high power celebrity within the church. You know John Travolta hasn't had a hit movie in a while. He's not like a-list celebrity anymore, but he's still his, his name he's got name recognition like you wouldn't believe multi-generational name recognition. So uh, so I think maybe I'm giving David Miscavige too much credit here, but I think he knows that the uh, consequences of, of messing around with John Travolta would be, uh, catastrophic, and I think that's why he doesn't do it. And this also harkens back to the old rule that celebrities in Scientology can get away with things regular Scientologists would never be able to get away with. So, whereas a you know you me regular person goes into Scientology and they have homosexual tendencies or they're bisexual or they're, you know trans or whatever, um, they'll they'll service them at this point because it would be a PR nightmare if Scientology started kicking people out just on the basis of being homosexual but, uh, or LGBT, but they'll only service you so far. And, uh, and they'll get you in, and they'll get you wrangled in, and they'll get you convinced that Scientology is the be-all, end-all of everything. And then they start hitting you about your homosexuality or your bisexuality or, or whatever. And, uh, and by then, you're kind of in the mental trap of it, and so you kind of put up with some of that for a while, right? And maybe even start considering that maybe Hubbard was right. And maybe you do have a mental illness or disease or problem. And you need Scientology auditing and you need to audit the gay away sort of uh, a thing. I've, I, I knew homosexuals in Scientology who had bought into that and got and paid thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for Scientology auditing to audit the gay away. And I, I didn't see it work. I just saw that they suppressed it. They suppressed the hell out of it and tried to pretend that uh, it's like gay conversion therapy. You know, they, they, you can suppress it, but you can't get rid of it because in, in almost all cases, it's not a choice. It's, it's where the person's head is at and, uh, just, and it's always been there. So, you know, that's kind of the case with that. So I hope that answers your question. Dusty Bills. I know the Church of Scientology hates psychiatry, So if someone had to take narcotics for chronic pain and an antidepressant that they've taken for years, would they actually have that person just stop taking them? Because we all know that they don't know what they're talking about, but that would be extremely dangerous. Yes, Dusty, this is a good question. And during the time that I was in Scientology and overseeing the delivery of auditing across all the Western United States... Uh, the practice was to get people off the antidepressants, and, and if they're taking chronic pain meds uh, to coordinate with their doctor, and in some cases we would also try to coordinate with the doctor in terms of getting them off the antidepressants. But originally, initially, before it was known how you know, what kind of awful side effects and problems this could create for a person, uh, we just told them flat out, just get cold turkey, just go off them, right? Just, get, just stop. Antidepressants don't work. They're curing a condition that doesn't exist. You don't have a chemical imbalance in your brain. That's not the problem you have. Your your issues are spiritual in nature or psychosomatically caused by your spiritual nature. And so we need to get you audited. And we can't audit you if you're on chronic pain meds. And if you're in chronic pain, I mean, that's a problem. Uh, But especially if you're on psychotropics of any kind, right, which definitely include antidepressants, antipsychotics, any any kind of thing like that you just like no way we are not going to audit you and if you've if you're unfortunate enough to have been on those depressants antidepressants or uh, drugs for a very long time then you could even end up being labeled an illegal PC and we and you just would never be able to get auditing if you had an extensive psychiatric drug history that policy changed after I left the church and I left in 2012 and I guess they revised the illegal PC policy, so now I think it is possible to go into Scientology with an extensive psychotropic drug history and still get auditing, but you're not going to be getting that auditing if you're still taking the psychotropics. You're going to have to get off of them, whether they do it cold turkey or whether they wean you off in coordination with your psychiatrist or medical doctor. And, of course, Scientology is going to be absolutely death on you having any relationship with a psychiatrist anyway. They're going to definitely draw some lines in the sand about that. Uh, You cannot be continuing to go to a psychiatrist. You cannot be continuing to take any kind of psychotropics and do Scientology. They're just not going to be okay with it. Um, On the chronic pain meds part, they're going to try to get you off of them. They're going to try to assess what the situation is and work with you. And your doctor maybe try to hook you up with a Scientologist who's also an MD. In Los Angeles and Clearwater, there's plenty of those. And they'll, um, those guys just completely corrupt their knowledge of bio, basic biology and biochemistry every time uh, because they take Scientology as the senior information of importance when it comes to physical health and well-being. So Scientology doctors are not people I would ever put my, my health care uh, in the hands of. So that's, uh, that's what I can say about that. And yeah, it is dangerous. Uh, getting around, get, you know, any kind of, uh, relying on Scientology at all for any kind of med- med- mental illness advice or mental health help is, you are literally taking your life into your hands. It's that serious. I'm not exaggerating. And I have made videos and done interviews with other Scientologists about this exact topic because it is so dangerous for anybody to get connected up with Scientology who thinks that Scientology has the answers for their mental health. It does not. Uh, so there you go. Ms. Nunia. I was wondering how strongly the silent birth concept and practice is taken within Scientology. Would a woman married to a celebrity such as Tom Cruise be more or less likely to be subjected to this edict? It seems very grim, even to someone who hasn't yet had children. In fact, it sounds utterly horrific. Yeah, uh, this whole silent birth thing is based on uh, the theory of Dianetics, the modern science of mental health, where L. Ron Hubbard says that during moments of pain and unconsciousness, even semi-unconsciousness, the words that are spoken and the sounds that are heard around a person, in fact, all the perceptions that a person receives while they are in these moments of pain and unconsciousness, go into what's called the reactive mind and come back later and react on you in a negative way and uh so the birth giving birth is definitely a moment of pain and some, and unconsciousness some women completely pass out or are put out but uh to some degree or another the theory in dianetics is that if you're experiencing any kind of pain then you are experiencing some level of unconsciousness, even though it's, it's, it's a, you know, graduated scale of unconsciousness. You might not be fully unconscious, but if you're half out, then, you know, the, 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 the perceptions you're receiving are half going into your reactive mind is sort of the, the idea or the theory of this. However, there being absolutely zero proof of the existence of a reactive mind, this whole thing is just a bunch of hokum. So, uh, you know, it's bad enough that you have to experience all the pain and trauma of childbirth but then to have everybody around you told that they can't talk, they can't say anything or they have to keep it to a bare minimum, the absolute barest essentials of what needs to be said or communicated and even moving things around, clanging instruments, anything like that, it's all supposed to be muted as much as possible during childbirth. And this is supposed to be for the baby's sake too, by the way, because the baby's coming out and it's also experiencing a moment of pain and unconsciousness through the process of birth. And so it's for the baby's sake also, which is the real selling point on this, right? Like, oh, you mean I might hurt my baby, you know, like, yeah, because we've been, you know, given birth for tens of thousands of years and every single child who was ever born is mentally deranged because nobody was quiet during the birth. I mean, come on, give me a break, you know. Uh, So this was the theory of this. And how likely is it or prevalent within Scientology? Pretty much. It's pretty prevalent. People, you know, in Dianetics and Scientology believe what L. Ron Hubbard writes, and he was pretty clear about this whole thing. It was was one. This isn't a point of you know deep minutia that you have to kind of dig up from some you know oddball lecture in the middle of 1953. This is right in Dianetics. This is this is talked about over and over again throughout Scientology. So, so it's a big deal. So the likelihood that somebody like Tom Cruise's wife, you know, I don't know if Katie. Uh, when she was giving birth to Suri, uh, did a silent birth or not. I actually can't remember or if, if that was even ever reported on, but um, I'd be really surprised if, if Cruz wasn't putting pressure on her to do that because, um, you know, like I said, he's a, he's a bit of a fanatic uh, when it comes to Scientology. So that's, that's what I can say about that, and uh, I hope that answers your question. Stella, I have a moral-ethical dilemma I hope you can help me think through. As a long-time Scientology watcher and critic, I feel it's my duty to speak out against the church and draw attention to its misdeeds, but I'm wavering in the extent to which I abstain from supporting public Scientologists' work. It's easy to boycott the megastar who's personally profited from Sea Org slave labor, or the has-been sitcom actress who shrilly accuses critics of raping babies. However, I find myself making excuses for the second-generation musician who keeps his membership fairly quiet the character actor in the fun Marvel film, or the older star from a 70s sitcom and cult classic films? Am I complicit in making Scientology look good, quote-unquote, by buying an album or watching a movie with a famous Scientologist in it? Is it enough to make up for that consumption by supporting ex-Scientologists and sharing what I know with others? Am I overthinking this? Hey, Stellan, uh, thanks for the question. And No, you're you're not particularly overthinking this. This is something we all sort of uh, struggle with, or think about, or look at, you know, in terms of our moral compass and what we want to support. You know, boycotts are—I don't know—boycotts are are what they are. You know, it's it's mostly it's, it's mostly for us more so than it is a a big uh, takedown of you know, uh, things we don't like. I don't think Walmart's going to be, you know, driven to their, taken to their knees by me not shopping there in protest of their pay practices. And I don't think that Tom Cruise's, uh, you know, budget is, or or income is particularly uh, inhibited by me not showing up at his films, right? I just, I don't see Tom Cruise films anymore. I can't stand the man. Every time I see him, I just see an evil, horrible troll. So that's my problem with Tom Cruise. But uh, Michael Pena, I I, I like Michael Pena. He's a good actor. And and he is in Marvel movies. What am I going to do? Not watch Marvel movies because of one guy? I mean, no, of course not. Michael Pena, you know, uh, Beck, these guys uh, who have these careers, they're getting their payday regardless of what, whether we are or are not buying tickets or, or uh, going to their movies or shows. So, you know, for, for me, the, the deciding factor is, is, can I watch them and suspend disbelief? Can I, can I be entertained and, and enjoy the product that they are putting out or am I so distracted by the hypocrisy or the um, the abuse that I know they you know are condone and are okay with that I just can't be in, entertained or enjoy what they are putting out. I don't I don't like Beck's music. I never have. So for me it's it's kind of a no brainer <laughs> as to whether I'm going to support Beck or not. But um, Elizabeth Moss is the epitome of uh, Scientology hypocrite. I can't really watch her very easily in anything without seeing a hypocrite Scientologist. That's all I see when I look at her. I never see her in character. I didn't know she was in the movie Us that uh, Jordan Peele had put out recently. And I went and saw it. And that scene that she was in, I was like, oh, it's the hypocrite Scientologist, right? And I was taken out of the movie a little bit to the degree that she was in it. So it's really kind of a personal preference, you know. But I don't... I don't particularly uh, support or, or, or promote, hey, let's boycott all the Scientologists, right? I mean, like I said, it's it's kind of a, a futile gesture. Uh, so I don't think you're overthinking it. I've obviously given this a lot of thought too. And maybe what I've said here can help you out with it. Um you know, the, the, the number of instances of this coming up are so few and far between also, by the way, because there's really not very many famous Scientologists. And, uh, and the ones who are, um, it's kind of easy to avoid them. You know, Elizabeth Moss isn't doing, like, groundbreaking, spectacular work. And the work she is doing in Handmaid's Tale, which I haven't watched for the reason I literally just explained, um, you know, she's just, it's just hypocritical. So, uh, so as a person, you know, <laughs> screw Elizabeth Moss. Uh, but Michael Peña, you know, he, I have never once seen him promulgate or disseminate Scientology. The only reason I know he's a Scientologist is because it was a passing comment. And I think he was in One Celebrity Magazine or something, which is an in-house uh, promotional piece that Scientology puts out. So it's not like Michael Payne is out there trying to make other people Scientologists, too. And I'm okay with that. You know, you want to do Scientology? Knock yourself out. If you want to use your celebrity status to promote Scientology, well, fuck you, right? So that's sort of my take on that. Uh, Harsh, strong words, I know. But obviously, I have uh, strong feelings about it. So there you go. Joseph Smith. I was surprised to hear you say that you believe that Hubbard was sincere and not a deliberate fraud. Do you have any opinion on the various claims that he told his colleagues at Astounding, that he planned to make a religion to make money, or that he and Robert Heinlein made a bet about it, or that some of the other writers helped him brainstorm Dianetics, not knowing that he was really going to try to sell it as a serious idea?" Okay, Joseph, thanks for giving me the opportunity to clarify myself here, because I don't, I, I, I don't think I said that Hubbard wasn't a fraud or a con man. What I said was that it's a deep, nuanced question, because Hubbard himself was a complex individual. He was a con man and a fraud. There is no question in my mind about that. He was also sincere in pursuing his discoveries, quote-unquote, of Dianetics and Scientology. And I think he was doing it in order to solve his own personal issues, and he felt that by solving those issues, he would solve everybody else's else's issues, too. And he sprinkled some occult in there, and he sprinkled some Madame Blavatsky in there, and he sprinkled some hypnosis and some psychology and and everything else he could throw into the mix— and that was Hubbard's brand of, of psychotherapy, first with Dianetics and then spiritual enlightenment with Scientology. Hubbard knew before he started the, religion, the religious angle on Scientology that that would be a fraudulent way of forwarding his ideas and quote-unquote discoveries uh, while getting tax exemption and being able to take advantage of First Amendment privilege and, and uh, protection and that kind of thing. So I have no question that L. Ron Hubbard knew he was, he was, you know, putting a con over on the government and on the people uh, in general, and I don't think he had any moral qualms about that whatsoever because L. Ron Hubbard hated the government, hated taxes, felt that he should have every single penny of every, you know, dollar he ever earned, that he should never have to give back to anybody for anything. He was a greedy son of a bitch. And uh, that's where, and, and that, that greed and, and also the vindictive nature uh, that he had of his ego filtered into his writings and his lectures. It couldn't, couldn't help but come out when you when you do that much writing and that much lecturing, then you're going to give a lot of yourself into that work. And that's what Hubbard did. So we see all of that in his work. And so, you know, did he say that he was going to the uh, easiest way to you know fool everybody and make a bunch of money was to start a religion. Yeah, he, he, he did say those things. And I think that the whole religious angle was a con. But I still feel also that he was struggling through trying to figure out how to solve his personal demons. And that he was using Dianetics and Scientology to try to accomplish that. So to that degree, he had some sincerity there too. He also did go way out of his way many times over the years to try to help his peeps. Uh, at at different times, and I think Hubbard had a little bit of a, you know, a little schizo-bipolar thing going on with that, where sometimes, some days he was Captain Bly, and other days he was Mr. Angel Face, and that was his deal. Some, you never knew what you were going to get with him, Uh, so that's kind of how I see him. It's, it's not a black and white issue when it comes to talking about somebody like L. Ron Hubbard, and that's, um, that's, I think, the best way I know how to, how to put all that. Hope that, uh, hope that answers your question. It is the return of flash answers. Bessie Dougherty, I once worked for Cancer Research UK and was shown a reference in the org at St. Hill from a lecture Hubbard gave where he said that cancer is a severe aberration of the second dynamic, that it came from body cells multiplying uncontrollably, and the solution was to mock up babies and throw them away. That's as much as I can remember. A couple of years later, a very close friend was diagnosed with cancer on December 17th and died February 5th. He was a Scientologist, as I was at the time, and I asked about this reference, and it was denied by everyone I asked. I even had the CO take me to the Quall Library. We never found it. Have you ever heard of it? It's driving me crazy as it was basically said I was lying and there was no such thing, but I couldn't make that up. Interested to know if you know of this because of the absurdity of the cancer cure and my sanity. Okay, great question, Betsy. And first off, yes, that does exist. I did see that too. I distinctly remember it. I don't distinctly remember which lecture it was. So I didn't go look it up or or search for it because I have a lot of lectures in my library, but I don't have them all and I didn't want to spend hours, you know, diving through and trying to find this thing. Uh, So, I don't know the lecture of it. I believe it was a lecture that Hubbard gave um, in the 1950s uh, when he was still making cancer cure claims and things like that, Um, but I I can't be sure. Uh, It could have been, you know, somewhere in the PDCs, it could have been in some, you know, random lecture in 1952 or 53. Or it could have been in the 60s even. I, I just don't remember. But I definitely distinctly remember that it exists. So rest assured, you're not crazy. And just because you couldn't find it in the Kuala Library doesn't mean it didn't exist because Hubbard gave like 5,000, 4,000 lectures or something. So, uh, you know, so it could have been in any of those. Wolf Berstein, In your opinion, what percent of active Scientologists stay in the region primarily because of the disconnection program? Whether it is a family member, friend, or business partner slash employer, it appears that the threat of severing these relationships is a major reason people stay in, despite the nonsense that Scientology excels in. Hey, thanks for the question, Wolf. Um, I think it's probably, it may be as high as 50% at this point, but that's... That's pretty, that's a bit liberal, right? I mean, maybe a more conservative estimate might be 25%, but I think it's somewhere in there. That is nothing but my own subjective guess, based on the experiences that I did have and and how Scientologists are and where things are at now and the exposure that we've had over the last many years. But, you know, that's that's my guess. Matthias L. Magnussen. I was reading up on Run today and stumbled across something interesting. In L. Ron's 1940 novel, Typewriter in the Sky, the protagonist has the name Mike DeWolf. I was curious, and maybe you knew if this is where the Hubbard family took the name from, or if DeWolf was in another way relevant to the Hubbard family, an old family name perhaps. Yes, L. Ron Hubbard's mother, uh, her family name was DeWolf. That's where that comes from. Okay guys, that has been our show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around. I hope you will check out that Critical Clips channel that I put up there for you guys, and I will be adding content like crazy to it uh, as the days and weeks and months go on here. I've got all my videos to go through and clip out stuff and and work on that, as well as continuing to produce new content for you every week and get all those videos done that I have promised that need to get done. I have not forgotten any of that. So thanks for coming around and watching, uh, and I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.